Welcome to the Live Your Spa Life Show. Spa life is where accomplishment and harmony coexist. Now, here's your host and Spa Life curator, Diane Halfman. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Live Your Spa Life Show. Spa life is a lifestyle that accepts that accomplishment and harmony coexist together. The spa and spa life, the SPA, is for seek power always, that power within you to do your deeper work in the world. I am so thrilled to introduce to you my special guest today, Dr. Kim Medcalf, who is an educational developmental psychologist, a speaker, and author of Let's Build Extraordinary Youth Together. She specializes in having breakthrough results for youth and adults. And I am so thrilled to get into her story and who she is and what she brings into the world. Dr. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Ah, absolutely. You know, it's so important. I know why our our dear friend, Laura Rubenstein-Wine, had introduced us because, you know, you working with the youth, when I'm a retired police officer, I worked with a lot of youth um, when I was on the department, and there just wasn't a lot of access for people to have programs that really support them. And I would love for you to share about the journey of, you know, stepping into programs that uh, really support youth and their resiliency. And there's not a lot of focus on that. What led you into that work? I had taught at a community college for 15 years, and I actually taught trauma-informed practices and prepared future teachers and parents, a lot of parents took my classes as well, uh, to go into the classroom and to learn how to interact with youth in ways that met the needs of what we call in human development, the five selves. So meeting their intellectual needs, uh, which we typically do at school, but meeting their creative, social, and emotional needs are very, very important. And there's just not a lot of training Um, available for teachers to do that, but the research shows how critical it is, especially now since so many of our kids are living um, in a lot of trauma and adversity. And um, it's really about interacting with them in ways that make them feel good about themselves rather than bad about themselves. So I'm really, really good at those practices. I had a tragedy in 2012. My own daughter, Abigail, uh, took her own life and it took me on a very dark road. And basically, I decided that what we really needed is uh, more people that know how to interact with young people to give them uh, positive experiences. So what I think about a child, I think about having a, a piece of wood behind their neck and having a pail or a bucket on each side. And on one side, they have people that are giving them experiences that are very adverse to their healthy development. Mm. Um, And on the other side, you have people that are giving them uh, positive experiences, protective factors, helping them, giving them learning opportunities to build resiliency skills. Mm. And what I found with my own daughter is I was a great mom, but I went through a very horrible divorce, a five-year custody battle. And um, it really took a toll on my children. Sadly, I chose um, an alcoholic for uh, the other parent. And um, when I said that I wanted a divorce because the abuse was just way too much, uh, the courts make sure that the kids have access to the biological other parent as long as the other parent is going through anger management and AA meetings and this and that. But um, 
as you might know that, you know, that's a very difficult journey if someone is addicted to alcohol. So for five years, my kids were basically terrorized and terrorized in the court system, terrorized by their dad and many relatives and teachers and people, they knew what was going on, but they didn't want to get involved. So my goal now is um, I have a nonprofit called Abby's Purple Winged Angels, and I just develop programs that actually, in a, you know, my big message to everyone is every one of us, we are the village, but the village doesn't mean anything unless you know how to interact with youth in ways that give them healthy development. So all of my programs are about using positive youth guidance as a trauma-informed practice when we interact with our kids. So it doesn't even mean that a teacher or someone has to get involved. It means that they have to pay attention to the way they're interacting with kids. Right, and right. school and they're upset, what do we do? How do we respond? And, and just saying, you know, I don't want to be involved. I'm not going to do anything. And I don't blame teachers. I mean, it's, it's a terrible position to be in. Sure. But, but there are ways that we can interact with kids and support them and help them feel that they matter, that they're important. Because the worst right. message is when they're getting, you know, you're not important, you don't matter, and someone's using them as a pawn or they're getting bullied. I mean, there's there's many reasons that children um, become depressed and anxious and just attempt suicide. I don't know if you know this, Diane, but one out of every five kids has a major depressive episode before they leave high school. And one out of six of our kids attempt suicide. And of course, some of them, like my Abby, are successful. Right. And to me, that is total madness. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I do know that I had to respond to some of those calls and there's just nothing more tragic than, you know, a parent having to, to face those kind of, of results. And first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss and the tragedy that that um, proposed. And, and I always look at, you know, in what ways do these things propel us into our deepest level of work? So I really commend you in really taking this stand for, for other children. Um, one of my last cases was a friend of mine whose daughter was was kidnapped and killed. And she did a lot of things to really support other children in, in a lot of the legislation. And so it's just, it's so powerful when um, parents take a stand to say, you know, no more. Like, I'm not going to have that happen. And so it was one of the things I was so attracted to having you here on the show about, you know, the whole WISPA life, about standing in your power. Like, there's so many things that we're hoping other people are going to do and not going to take a stand for that. And so I appreciate uh, that, that you are doing that and you're standing out there. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, parents, you know, they, they're doing the best they can, right? They're trying to yes. see what what's happening with their children. And, and, you know, especially during certain years, you know, kids aren't always as, as forthright of sharing who they are. And especially with electronics, they're even more withdrawn in a lot of ways. What is some advice uh, that you can give to, you know, parents or teachers or those that, that interact with the youth of what to look for? What are some of the communication tools? What are some of the things that they can do to really make a shift and change into these um, staggering statistics for children? Well, the number one thing, parents always ever ask me, what's the best thing I can do? And I said, number one, choose the other parent wisely. That's my first mm. advice. Um, but like me, many of us don't do that. Uh, what I would say is giving your youth uh, the opportunities to build resiliency skills. And so what that means, Diane, is 
I have a system. It's called Positive Youth Guidance System. It is um, in a book I wrote called Let's Build Extraordinary Youth Together. And there's um, 14 different strategies. And there's strategies that will, a lot of times we'll tell a child what to do. We say, you know, go brush your teeth, do this, do that. But rather than telling kids what to do, ask them, what do you need to do next? Mm-hmm. And if you're a teacher in a classroom, um, how can I help you? And I, I've created tools. So when I work with teachers, I've created tools and, and parents can do the same thing at home where you create tools that um, you teach kids how to be mindful, how to meditate, how to some, some kids don't need meditation. They need to move a lot. So what do they do when they're upset? You know, um, give them tools to work through their feelings. So the best, the best advice is help your child when they're upset, identify their feeling with a word. This is, I feel angry. And then help them identify where the feeling is living in their body, right? And so uh, where are you feeling it? Oh, my stomach's upset. My throat's tight. Okay. What is it that you need? And the reason why it's important to ask those questions is because I think of um, John Siegel's brain in the hand. And so when, when we're really upset and we're overrun with emotions, we're operating from our limbic system, where's at the seat of our emotions, our amygdala, our hippocampus. And what happens is we're not using the frontal lobe, which is where all of our reasoning is. So the goal is when you have a child that's really upset, instead of you know, putting them down, shaming them, blaming them, punishing them. You want to get them to stop and connect what I say is this frontal lobe section to the limbic system so they can start reasoning. Once you do that by asking them questions, then you start working through, you know, what is it that you need? And they have to think about that. And you can cue them and you help them work through that process. And then, um, what is an appropriate way to get your need met? And that's so important to show our kids so that we empower them. And as they do that more and more, as we take them through that process, they're able to do it on their own eventually. So all of the strategies I propose are strategies like that, that really give you the opportunity of taking them through the process that connects that frontal lobe and helps them to think And cognition and mental processing, it's like any other skill. You have to practice it. Right. And it takes time. And that really helps build their emotional intelligence, which is a huge resiliency skill. Yeah. When you use these strategies, you're also delivering messages to your child that you trust them, that they matter, that they're important, and that boosts their self image. Mm. And that is a major issue um, with our kids. um, their self-image. And, and you're right. Parents are so, so busy. And what is really important is that when we interact with our kids, we really make it count, right? Mm-hmm. Teachers, you got to really make it count. You, you should always be thinking of, am I filling their bucket with a protective factor and a resiliency skill, or am I filling their bucket with adversity? Mm-hmm. And you choose. Right. right. Use the strategies that fill it with 
Right. And great (laughs) questions to ask. You know, I love that focus on building resiliency, you know, because I knew for myself as when I came into the police department, you know, I had to build resiliency on the street, you know, really looking at situations and thinking outside the box and looking at things in a different way. And I used a lot of those to, with my daughters, you know, who were young at the time about making those critical decisions and giving them boundaries, but also letting them make choices. And I think sometimes as parents, if we don't allow our children, if we come from the place of like, well, we know best or just do as I say and those kind of things. And, you know, I'm guilty of that as well, you know, in, in the the sense of, of easiness, if you will, uh, and saving time, we maybe do some of that, but we don't allow our children sometimes when we do that to really think for themselves and to be able to make those critical choices. And if we don't give them those opportunities when they're younger uh, to, like you said, building the trust to be able to do that, then they are building critical skills to be able to set boundaries for themselves, to be able to ask for what they need, and to not just default to what somebody else wants for them. Right. And I think that's where some of the things are coming in, where you're hearing some of the kids where, you know, there's more of an entitlement because things have always been done for them. Whereas, you know, really giving them the opportunity to grow and stretch that it's in the challenging situations is how can kids get through things if we don't give them challenges to solve and skills to be able to do them and to be able to overcome them. So, what would you say to some of the parents who, they want their children to build these critical you know, skills to do, but they're in a place of fear of wanting to maybe be, we, we've heard you know, the helicopter parents who really overprotect their children and don't allow them to do that. What are some of the things that you're sharing with them? And I also know that you've got something around um, how you look at fear. Maybe you can kind of tie those things together. Well, fear is um, any strong emotion, fear, frustration, it's, it's there uh, because we have an unmet need. Yes. And so the question is, um, what I ask parents is, think of the, not the right now, and you made a great point, Diane, about we want to do something fast, right? We're busy and we need to hurry up and you know get them to do what we want them to do. Right. But I ask parents to slow down and stop and think, what do you really want to use this situation for? What's your long-term goal for your child? Because a long-term goal is that we want them to be able to reason and think and be responsible for themselves when we're not around. Mm -hmm. So it's really getting a little bit of a, a, parents can turn a switch. And so even when I work with teachers, I say, what type of kid do you want in the classroom? And of course they say, you know, I want somebody honest. I want somebody that collaborates and cooperates and they name all of these wonderful things. And I said, so if a child has a disruptive behavior and you punish them and you send them out of class or you yell at them or you give them an ultimatum, are you growing that skill in that child? And they'll say no. And I said, because are you showing that skill? And they say no. And so it's really about teaching parents, asking them what they really want, and then teaching them how to get it. And I think as a society, culturally, we aren't really giving parents any type of training. I mean, the only parents that get any type of training or education or tools to use is if a parent beats their kid or they're really in the court system. And even then, if the parent's not open to it, if they can't really embrace and understand why what they're doing doesn't work and why there's a better way 
that's actually easier for them in the long run. You've got to convince parents of that. And most parents that I work with and uh, teachers, they get it. I mean, they'll immediately, you know, what do you want from these kids? What do you want your child to look like when they're an adult? Right. If you just send them away and you don't use the, their missteps and their inappropriate behaviors to help them build a skill, are they ever going to get there? Right. Right. And most there, it's like an epiphany, you know, the light bulb goes off. Cause I think yeah. it's really about, you know, just re-educating parents. And I don't want to say that as though parents don't know what they're doing, because that's an, another thing we have in our culture. Oh, if you're a parent, you, you know, it's your right to do what you want. Well, you know what? Everything is a skill. You know that. I know that. Right. Absolutely. You job, you have to be trained. You know, right. you, you didn't become a police officer without training. Right. You didn't right. earn a PhD without training. Right. You know, Absolutely. Parents, you know, you can become a parent. We all know that. But how do you become a quality parent that raises a child that has a productive, meaningful, and joyful life? Right. One that adds positive to their family, their community, themselves, and basically the world. Right. Well, I love this because, you know, in essence, we're like reverse engineering how to have a child that is a productive member of society that is, you know, doing on purpose for what they're up to, that they are within, you know, their strengths and what brings them joy and all the things that we want for our child. When we reverse engineer it going, okay, if we want this for them and not the specifics of like, I want my child to be a reflection of, of what I want. It's like, what, what's best for them, right. you know? Right. And when we look at it from that perspective, we start looking at, okay, what are those skills? Like, what are those things? And that's why I think it's so important to have these kind of conversations uh, where people can listen on podcasts, they can tune in with people and they can see, you know what, there are some other skills that I can build. There's some better questions that I can be asking. And you know, I think it's so important to, to be able to do that. And I know that, that you have a complimentary assessment. Um, how can parents utilize that to, um, to help them build uh, their, their skill set? So there's a lot of conversations that parents need to have with their kids or their young, young, even young adults, but those conversations aren't being had. And it's not because a parent is neglectful. It's because they really don't know. So one of the things that happens in the teenage years is Um, kids, all the research shows, um, you start to think about who am I, where do I belong? Am I going to be a significant member of society? So at our very core as human beings, we need to connect with each other. We need to feel that we belong. We need to feel that we are significant. We have value. So the assessment, what it looks at is how good are you doing at helping your child discover identity purpose, and significance. Mm. And then I have also some complimentary of complimentary video to show you how to get started with that. You know, the first thing is sitting with your kids, instead of telling them, you need to be honest, you need to, you know, you need to, don't lie, don't do this, don't do that. You talk to them about, look, these are all the characteristics that you can have, that you can bring to the world, bring to the table, bring to your life. You can be kind or unkind. You could just, so I, I, when I work with teens, because I have teen programs as well, I ask them, you know, what are the virtues that mean the most to you? When you go out in the world, how do you like to be treated? What matters to you? I get them to connect with those. And then I show them how every single day when they're making a decision, 
they can decide if I make this decision, am I moving closer to my virtue or further away? If I stand in a group and I'm gossiping with people about someone else, am I moving closer to kindness or further away from kindness? So I help them to, I think it's really important for us as parents to help our kids navigate through everyday experiences Mm-hmm. using virtues that they have chosen and then talk to them every week. How did you do with your virtues this week? What came up? What, what, you know, what worked, what didn't work? I really suggest like weekly family meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I suggest weekly meetings for classrooms where you get to talk about these things. Right. And you get to talk about, you know, what did you appreciate? Did you tell that person you appreciated it? Right. Wow. So really teaching our kids those social <laughs> skills. And I do want to say that One of the big problems, and I'm sure that you've noticed this, is we've kind of have a faction in our society that has decided that being personally responsible makes you, you know, oh, you're, oh, you can't tell people they're personally responsible for being poor or for what, you know, for being mean because things happen to them. Well, of course, things happen to all of us. Right. So what's our job as parents and teachers and the village which means all of the people that are interacting with you daily. Right. What are we going to do about that? Well, we know that we want our kids to be empowered, not sit around and say, well, I can't do anything because I had a really crappy life or I was a victim or I was this or I was that. We're all victims at some time, at some point. Yeah. I totally get that. How do you respond to it? So we need to tell our kids, yes, bad things happen. How do you respond to it? And part of the problem is we have a lot of parents that have kids that they don't know how to respond, right? (laughs) Right. That's some of the questions they've not asked themselves. And I think it's so important just to be in the conversation around it and, and for parents to say, you know, to their kids, you know, hey... I let's explore this together. You know, it's asking better questions. I may not, you know, have the best answer for this and let's figure it out. And, you know, I think it's so important to have that conversation around, yes, we can all have victim experiences, but we can choose not to be a victim. And we can look at, you know, how is it this is going to, you know, how did this happen for me? And what can I learn from it? You know, that whole failing forward and, you know, not making our kids or ourselves wrong for, you know, some of the decisions that are made, but that, Taking that personal responsibility, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think it's so important because if we don't take responsibility for ourselves primarily, then where does the buck stop, right? I mean, if we're if we're not in control, that means that you're not making decisions about your life. And I think having some of these conversations with our children allows them what's it like to make decisions. And then if you have a decision that maybe isn't in alignment with you know your virtues or your values or things with you, you can pivot. Like you can make another decision and you can be, it's not you know, you're not now a bad person. It's like, okay, what did you learn from that? What can you do different than that? And I think that we aren't necessarily having some of these conversations with our children where they're feeling, you know, isolated and they don't feel like anyone understands them because no one's having the conversation with them. So I think it's so important um, what you're bringing forth and and what you're doing for people to have these skills and to talk with their children um, around this. So yeah, thank you so much. For, for being part of this conversation and, and bringing I, this to the forefront. I, do, I really like what you said about, you know, when the parents start working with the kids, the parents start discovering things. And every time I work with a parent and a youth together, it's so funny because the parents say exactly what you said. They go, no one's ever asking these questions. I didn't even know this stuff. I don't know. I'm using the virtues. I'm doing, you know, and yeah. it's because, yes, you know, we as a society, we just, 
haven't emphasized that. I, I was very fortunate because I fell in love with the field of human development and education. And so that, you know, I was just shocked when I was learning things like, oh my gosh, why this, this shouldn't just be taught to some teachers that are going for early childhood education degrees. This, everybody needs this. So I, I really appreciate that you that you recognize how important it is for parents to take part of the process and how it benefits them. So the assessment helps them. And then there's an assessment for youth too. So youth can, can you can see where your teen is as far as finding out their identity, purpose, and belonging. And right. remember that during that, from 11 to 21 years old, that's the main question. The main challenge is, who am I? What is my purpose? And where do I belong? And that's in the research everywhere. So those complimentary, you know, assessments and then some videos to give you an idea of where to start and what to do. Um, I think they can really help, you know, your audience or anyone that gets to them to yeah. kind of get on the track. And it, it's kind of fun. You know, I always have a lot of parents have a lot of fun with it. And just, Absolutely. Oh. What a great activity, right? To see like what uh, speaks to your child and what have they, you know, gleaned from their environment. And which actually reminds me, one of the things, because I think environments are so important, the environments we create. And one of the things I always like to ask my guests is that, you know, we feel differently in our bedroom versus our office versus our kitchen. What is your favorite room in your home and why? My favorite room is my bedroom. I love to be in the bed, just cuddled up and just relaxing and taking time to appreciate all of the great things in my life and looking out my window at the beautiful river and I'm surrounded by trees and appreciating nature. So I love that. My bedroom, I have a little sunroom and it's just all glass windows and I look out at the Oh, fantastic. Well, I appreciate you and how much you are just making an impact for, you know, youth and you know, you're really sharing and teaching children how to stand in their own power, right? To really take responsibility for the life that they want to live and to give parents the tools to really make that happen. And so I know that uh, our listeners are going to want to take that assessment and be able to uh, connect with that. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for, for being here on the show. And I appreciate all of the wisdom that you have to share. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor. Uh, Thank you. And for our guests, you know, I also will have uh, my free gift in the show notes as well about resetyourpowergift.com, about five moves to be able to see where you're giving your power away and where you can stand in that more. And I would love for you guys, I'm so appreciative of what, you know, our most important resources are time. And we so appreciate you being here with us. And please, you know, put into the comments, you know, tag both uh, Dr. Kim and myself, any questions that you may have, any ways that we can support and have the resources. You know, our, our children are such a precious resource that we want to support. So please share this, get this out so that uh, people can take the assessment. They can have these deeper conversations with their families and really start taking responsibility for the life that they want to live. So until we connect again, live your spa life. Bye for now. Your host and Spa Life curator, Diane Halfman, wants you to know you can download her free guide to start living your spa life right now. Go to dianehalfman.com and click on the link for the nine secrets to step into your spa life. Now, live your spa life where accomplishment and harmony coexist.